place in your copy of the Word of God, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read a few verses, and then we'll pray. You can be seated. John chapter 5, verse number 10, the Bible says, The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Would you help us pray? Father, Lord, we love you. God, we're so thankful, Lord, for your goodness and mercy in our life. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be here on, in church on a Sunday night. Thank you for these people that we're able to share our burdens with and, and ask them to pray for us. And we're thankful that we can trust them to pray for us. But then, most of all, we're thankful we got a God we can pray to. We've got a God that knows everything about the things that we are asking prayer for. You know how to how to answer those prayers the way they need to be answered. Father, I pray now, God, that you'd help me. Thank you for the reading of God's word, but I pray you'd help me preach the word of God with power and unction of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, I'd say everything you want me to say and nothing I don't need to. Help me say true to the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of God. Let me borrow your imagination again, if we can, go back to Jerusalem. And we have, we're walking into a gate, which is called the Sheep Gate. This is the gate that all the sacrificial lambs are brought through. And as we walk through that gate, if you can imagine with me, we walk through the gate and we look on one side and we see the temple where worship is supposed to be going on, where sacrifices are given, where the glory of God is supposed to be. And right close to the temple we see this pool. Now, now, now I'm not talking about a kiddie pool. I'm not talking about a fountain. You know sometimes we, we have these ideas of some of this stuff and we, we kind of think too, too small. They tell us that what they've uncovered at the pool of Bethesda, some parts of it were 42 feet deep. This was a big pool. This was not like a pool in your backyard. This is a big pool over by the temple, and it's got five porches, the Bible says. And if you've got to imagine that, you'd make, think about uh, five covered decks all around this pool. You imagine that? And all over these decks, there are, there are impotent people, blind people, halt people, withered people all around this. And if you, if you don't ima imagine, imagine all these sick Deathly people, we're not talking about a vacation, we're not talking about the resort pool, we're not talking about the pool down at the, at the, the lodge, we're, we're talking about a pool full of death, pool full of disease. Uh, listen, we're talking about a pathetic, pitiful sight. You got that in your mind? The background, this pool of Bethesda, There's, the Bible uses this phrase, a great multitude of impotent folk. 
a great multitude. And, and in that day, the great physician walks into that crowd of sufferers. The great physician enters into uh, the proximity of people who are deathly sick. Uh, the great physician walks into the room, if you will, of people who are sick, they're helpless, they're hopeless, and probably have become heartless. Uh, these people, listen, these people don't even recognize who walks in their midst. They, they, they don't know who it is. They don't recognize that the great physician is in their midst. And here he goes to one of these sufferers. Jesus goes to one of these sufferers. And, and the Lord asks him, Wilt thou be made whole? And instead of this man who is withered, who is impotent, who, is, uh, who obviously is lame, who cannot walk on his own or at least can't get to the water on his own, instead of him responding uh, and asking him to have mercy on him because he, again he doesn't recognize who this is talking to him, he simply goes back to all he knows is that this pool has some saving power. This pool has some miraculous power. And if there'd be some man would just help me get to the pool, I'd be made whole. This man only thought of the pool. He, he didn't realize that the lie, the, the, the Savior was standing before him. He did not realize that the one who has life-giving words, who has power in just his words, he didn't realize that's who he's talking to that day. All of a sudden, in grace, the Savior heals this man. And watch this. This man had no faith. There you go, TBN crowd. You know that TBN crowd says if you'll sow $1,000 to their ministry, you'll, you'll reap all these benefits. And then if you don't, they say it's because you don't have faith. This man doesn't know to have faith. This man doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know that he's the Lord. He doesn't know that he's the Savior. He doesn't know that he can ask him to heal him. He doesn't ask him to heal him. He doesn't ask him for anything. He says, I don't have a man that'll help me get to the water. And every time I try to go to the water, somebody beats me to it. And Jesus says, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. The man's healed like that. Now, this man is immediately, perfectly healed. The man's been sick, y'all, for 38 years. You think somebody being, uh, uh, being uh, lame for 38 years, you think in our natural medical world could just jump up and walk? No, they'd have to go through some type of rehab process. They'd have to go through some kind of physical therapy process. But not this man. He's immediately healed, but he's perfectly healed. He gets up, he takes up his bed, and he begins to walk. And he still don't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know who he is. All of a sudden, the Bible tells us an interesting thing at the end of verse number 9. Now, now, if you've not been here with us and you weren't here last Sunday, I, I'm, I'm picking up where we left off last Sunday morning about verses 1 through 9 about this man being healed. But verse 9 ends like this. On the same day was the Sabbath. There's an important factor here to this healing. 
And Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath day and that healing on the Sabbath day invoked high criticism from the Jews. When they learned that it was Jesus who performed this miracle, the Bible says they sought to slay him. This is how mad they get about this. Now it's interesting here that this is one of the seven miracles that Jesus performed on the Sabbath day that we know about. Jesus could have healed this man on any day of the week. Jesus, Jesus could have waited till the next day. This man's been there 38 years. Jesus could have waited till the next day. Jesus could have come the day before. Jesus could have healed this man without even being in the man's presence. We've seen that with the nobleman's son in chapter 4. But Jesus purposely, purposely, Heals this man on the Sabbath day because he is trying to get the attention of the Jews. It's interesting. There's a lot of stuff here and I ain't got time to deal with all of it tonight. But he, he, there's, there's an interesting factor here. This man and all these impotent people represent the nation of Israel. The Bible said they were impotent. They were without strength. And though the nation of Israel had the law and they boasted about having the law, they had no strength to keep the law. Matter of fact, they had, they, had, they, had, they had lost so much strength, I guess you should say. They never were able to keep the law perfectly. But they had lost so much of their strength to keep the law that they had made other laws to try to make up for it. And they had made all these laws and all these rules to try to make up for their lack of strength to keep the law. The Bible said not only were they impotent there around this pool, they were blind. And boy, the Jews were blind. Man, man, they, they were blind to their own insufficiencies. They were blind to their own weakness. They were blind to, to who they really were. But they were blind that Jesus was on the scene for them. They were blind that their Messiah that they'd been looking for was right in their midst. They were blind and they were halt. The word halt means they couldn't walk. Listen, you can't walk with the Lord if you can't see the Lord. And they couldn't walk in worthy of the Lord. They couldn't walk with the Lord. They had no walk with God. They had all these rules and all these regulations, but had no real walk with God. And then they were withered, the Bible said. Their hands went withered most of the time. Your hands were, were incapable of doing anything. They could not work for the Lord. Let me just say this by way of introduction, and this is not in the notes, but listen to me. If, if you, this, this blind halt and withered, that, that order matters. Here's what I mean. You will never work for the Lord and with your hands until you walk with the Lord with your legs. But you'll never walk with the Lord until you, your eyes are open to who he really is. Are you listening? You've got to see who the Lord is. You've got to see who he is. You've got to see who you are in relation to him. Your eyes must be open before you ever walk with the Lord. And you will never, and until you walk with the Lord and walk worthy of the vocation God has called you into, you'll never work for the Lord. Listen to me, Christian friend. You are trying to skip the steps when you try to work for the Lord without walking with the Lord. And it ain't going to happen. Some of you want to serve the Lord, but you don't want to, you don't want to sup, sup with the Lord. Hello? You want to serve the Lord, but you don't want to sup with Him. 
And listen, you may perform, you may perform on a stage, you may perform in the spotlight, but you'll never serve the Lord until you walk with the Lord. Are you listening? And you ain't never going to walk with the Lord until your eyes are open to who he really is. Amen, that order matters, that order matters, that won't cost you nothing extra, it's not even in the night. This, this, this people down at the pool represent Israel and their dead religion, their hopeless religion, their helpless religion. And, and this man, 38 years he's been down like this. Isn't it interesting in Deuteronomy we find out that the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness of sin for 38 years? Now we say 40 years, but that's just surrounding. Deuteronomy tells us specifically it's 38 years. And there in the wilderness, Israel, or they limped around. They were lame. They, they didn't walk with the Lord. They walked around in circles. They didn't work for the Lord because they were not in the land that God had promised them. For 38 years, they laid almost dead, if you will. And that's where this man was. It's interesting. This man is healed. This man is healed. And it, and it causes the outrage Amongst the Jews. You would think this would cause excitement. You would think this would cause for celebration. But not so. Not when you're stuck in dead religion. Not when you're stuck in some kind of hopeless situation. I want to talk to you a couple about a couple things tonight real quickly. Number one, I want you to notice the criticism in this text. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. This man's been down for 38 years. This man has not been able to walk. He's not been able to work. He's not been able to provide for his family. He's not been able to go down to the temple and worship. He has not been able to do anything for himself for 38 years. He gets up, he's walking, and buddy, you better believe that attracted some attention. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody had seen him 38 years. I mean, you got to think there are people that all they've ever known is that man laying by the pool of Bethesda. Oh, they had never, they had never known anything different. Uh, they don't, maybe don't know his name, but they said, man, I remember him. I know who that is. He drew some attention, but watch this. It wasn't, it was not positive intention. It, it was not pleasant attention. It was painful attention. Notice what they say to him. They don't run to him and say, hey, hey, whoa, hallelujah. Thank God you're walking. Man, how's it feel? They don't say that. They don't walk up to him and say, man, what happened to you? Tell us about it. They walk up to him and say, hey, 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 it's the Sabbath day. You ain't supposed to be doing that. Hey, 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 hey. It's good you can walk and all that stuff. We'll celebrate tomorrow. But it's Sabbath day. Put your bed down. You're not supposed to be carrying your bed, sir. You know what these people wanted? These people would have rather him either stay laying down or to leave his bed there. You say, why didn't he just leave his bed? He's been, he's been there for 38 years. You think he's got money to buy another bed? He's poor, but. That's all he, all he probably has is the clothes on his back and the bed that he's laying on. Notice the, how quick this criticism comes. 
This is not days down the road. It is immediately, as soon as he walks up, I can just, can you just imagine, can you imagine? he gets up, he gets up, oh, I mean, I'm sure he tried out his legs a little bit. Man, this is really happening. He takes up his bed. Remember, his bed is just a, a blanket, if you will. He rolls that bed up. He throws it on his shoulder, and he walks out of the, that porch. And he's, I mean, you've got to think he's skipping. Oh, hallelujah, glory to God. And all of a sudden, he's stopped by some religious Pharisee. They, and you guess where they had just come from? They just come from church. They just come from synagogue. They had just been in the temple doing their, their temple stuff and they walk out and they see a miracle. And all they're worried about is you ain't supposed to do that. And you ain't supposed to do it that way. And if I was you, I wouldn't be doing that. Hey, hey, it's a Sabbath day. You're not supposed to be carrying your bed. And now here's, here's the thing. First of all, what's, what's the precedence of this law that they're talking about? Now, now, the Sabbath day, by the way, is not Sunday. This is the Lord's day. Can I teach you a little bit? This is the Lord's day. And let me give you this. The Lord's day didn't replace the Sabbath day. And watch this, and I don't observe the Sabbath day because I'm not a Jew. Okay? All right? So there you go. Your Seventh-day Adventist friend, they're going to tell you that you are, you are an anti-Christ. They're they going to tell you, your Seventh-day I don't know if you got any, but your Seventh-day Adventist friend are going to tell you that this is the mark of the beast going to church on Sunday. That's what they going to tell you. How I know. I ain't got no Seventh-day Adventist friends, I don't guess, but I get letters in the mail all the time. Especially when we send out a bunch of tracts in the mail. My only responses I get, I'm going to tell these Christians they're slacking, buddy. The only response I get is Seventh-day Adventists talking about when they read their Bible, they realized they were, they were performing the mark of the beast on worship but on Sunday. Yes, I mean, come on. This is not Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is the seventh day of the week, which would be Saturday. Okay? And again, it's for the Jew. Matter of fact, we'll talk more about that. But the presence is, here's, here's the thing. In Exodus chapter 20, there was a general principle given that there was to be no work done on the Sabbath day. The general principle was talking about the person's livelihood or occupation. In Nehemiah chapter 13 and, and in Jeremiah chapter 17, there was some specific application to when they were working on the wall and building the things there. But again, it was about people, it was about, had to do with working and one's business on the Sabbath day. And they went right along with the Ten Commandments given in Exodus chapter 20. But watch this, this man carrying his bed was not his livelihood. And it was not his occupation. We see the presence is there. Is there a law against the Sabbath day? Against working? Yes. But then they had a, but then we see the perversion in their criticism. Here's what they left out. There were, can I put it like this? There were mercy clauses in the Sabbath day law. What I mean by that is works of mercy could, were acceptable on the Sabbath day. As an example, it was acceptable for them to rescue an animal on the Sabbath day. Remember uh, in Matthew chapter 12, another Sabbath day miracle. And he said this, Jesus said this to those Pharisees, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? 
How much then is a man better than a sheep? Y'all know that, don't you? Time out. Y'all know men are better than animals, don't you? Hello? I mean, save the furry frog in the swamp somewhere, but kill a baby. I mean, we are so messed up in this society we're living in. Man is better than a sheep. And watch what he says. Wherefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. And listen, if it's okay for you to save your sheep out of a pit, it's okay for this dude to get up off of his deathbed on the Sabbath day. But see, see, here's the thing. Critics of God's word are always perverting the situation. They're always twisting the scriptures. They're always twisting the rules to fit their game. They're always changing the rules in step too. Right in the middle of the game. Don't you hate that? Don't y'all hate, you hate that playing a game and everybody wants to change the rules while you're playing the game? That, that, that takes me off, man. No, 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 no. We set the rules up at the beginning of the game. And this is how we're going to play it. And if you don't like it, we're going to finish this game out and then we can change the rules next time. But you're not going to change the rules in the middle of the game. Right? That's what they'll do. They'll, they'll twist that thing. they pervert that thing. But watch this. Watch this. Look at the pointing of the criticism. Verse, I'm still in verse 10. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. They've not said anything about him being able to walk. They've not acknowledged his healing. Can I put it like this? And I know it right now this is just a physical thing happening to him. They've, so, so, so this word, let me use it loosely, they've not acknowledged his salvation. All they want to point out, all they want to point out is him carrying that bed. But here's what, They point out his conduct. They point out a change in his conduct. They ridicule it. They mock it. They laugh at it. They'll try to stop it if possible. Watch this. The world wants to mock and laugh and scorn at your conduct. When you're changed, when when Christ changes you and, and your conduct is different now, people are like, what's gotten into you? What's wrong with you? Pointing out. But then we see the passionless attitude of this criticism. You're not supposed to be carrying that bed on Sabbath day. He goes on to say, well, well, the man who made me whole said, rise up, take your bed up, walk. And here's what they say. Oh, you're whole now? Oh, hallelujah, thank God. No, that's not what they say. Verse 12, look what they say. Then asked they him, what man is it that which said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? They don't ask, who was it that made you whole? They don't ask, who healed you? But who told you to carry your bed? See, they're not interested in the healing. They don't care if this man was healed or not. They would let people suffer rather than let him be healed on the Sabbath day. And that's exactly 
what we see not only in this particular healing on the Sabbath day, but the other ones as well, that these critics, these Pharisees, this religious crowd were so messed up in their thinking that they refused to recognize that the purpose of the Sabbath day was not for, it was not, was not for rules and regulation, but the purpose of Sabbath day was rest. And healing brought rest from pain. And healing brought rest from suffering, but they weren't interested in that kind of rest. See, see, they wanted to be self-appointed religious cops oppressing people with their man-made rules. Let me tell you something, he was not breaking a God rule right here. See, see, they, here's, here's, here's how it goes. Man-made religion always makes up new rules. And so God says, don't work on the Sabbath day. Let it be a day of rest. Then he goes specific in Nehemiah and Jeremiah and says, look, look, don't be carrying loads in. And he's talking about them building a, the city, building the walls. Don't be carrying those loads in on the Sabbath day. Don't do that. Again, talk about work. And instead of letting it be, everybody understands that. The, the rabbis make 39 specific rules for them to keep on the Sabbath day. Matter of fact, they are so silly about it today in Israel. When I was there in 2015, there's a couple things that stuck out to me, but there was one called the Shabbat elevator. The Shabbat, the Shabbat, Sabbath, Shabbat, the same thing. This elevator on the Sabbath day, from 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday, this elevator stopped at every floor in the building you were in because it was against the rabbi's rules to push a button on the Sabbath day. But yet, I saw them pushing buggies with babies in it. And I asked one of them, because y'all know I'm so coothful, and I was really coothful back then. They didn't answer me. Not only that, our tour guide, George, our tour guide over there, he was an Arab. Uh, he, was an, he, was, he was from Israel. He was, he, was, uh, he was a saved man, a Christian man, all that. But he was a Arab. You know, everybody in Israel aren't Jews, right? And so, so he said that one day on, on Shabbat, on Sabbath day, he said a, a guy came, came and, and parked his car and rolled his window. said, hey, 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 you're an Arab, right? You're an Arab, right? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, can you come turn my car off? It's Shabbat. He said, uh, no. No, I'm not going to do that. And he said, no, 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 I can't turn it off. It's Shabbat. He said, how'd you turn it on? He said, I got another Arab to turn it on for me. He says, you're telling me you can't turn it on or turn it off, but you can steer it, push the pedals, and drive it? Listen, that ain't God's stuff. <laughs> That's man's stuff. And that's what man-made religion always adds to the rules. They only, and that's exactly what happened here. This man is not breaking a God rule. This man is not breaking a biblical rule. He's, making, he's breaking their man-made rules. And so we see the source of their criticism. We see the subject of their criticism. But watch what this man does. This man, I don't even know if he's spiritually saved yet. I'm going to find out later that I, I believe he gets saved if he's not right here. But watch what he does. In verse 11, he answered them. He 
that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. So, okay, what does that mean? You know what he did? He, when he encountered opposition, he took shelter in the word of God. You know what he did? He supported his conduct on the very words of Christ. And may I say to you, Christian friend, there is no better foundation for support of your conduct than the word of God. He sought refuge and he sought support and he sought shelter in the word of God in the time of trouble and in the time of critics. May I say to you, if you line your life up with the word of God, you don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder. You can shelter yourself in the word of God. I do this because the Bible said. We do this because the Bible said. And it's Bible this and Bible that. Bible this and Bible that. Listen, you don't need no other rule book. You need a Bible. You don't need some man-made list. You need a Bible. You don't need all the rules and regulations of this world. You need a Bible. And I'm telling you what you need to do, young people, is get in this Word and study this Word. Hey, my friend, don't borrow my standards. Don't borrow mom and daddy's standards. But get in this book and find out what God's standard is and what God's conviction is and what God's Word says. That way, when the critics come, you can say, oh, that's what the Bible said. And the critics come and say, well, the Word of God says, uh, the Word of God says, and listen, that's Going, that is the foundation all of us need in our life. It's what foundation this church needs. It's what foundation your home needs. And that's what foundation you need. Is what does the Bible say? I'm telling you, friend, I don't know much else. I don't know all this other stuff. And I don't know as much as the Bible as I need to know. But I'm telling you, friend, we've got a book. That is inspired of God. It is not just a trinket to sit on a shelf somewhere. It is not just a, a icon to make us look like we're Christians. It is not something we carry as a good luck charm. Y'all realize this thing doesn't have any power, you waving it around? I've been in some silly services, y'all. Hello, I've been in some silly church services. They want to talk about the Pillsbury revival going on down there. And I, Wherever, Asbury, I'm sorry. <laughs> Some of y'all ain't on that joke right there. Hey, Amen. The stupid stuff going on in Kentucky, by the way, if y'all wonder how I feel about it. Uh, they talk about that, but I've seen some stupid stuff like that going independent from the middle Baptist churches. And I've seen people take that book like it's some lucky charm. Like, get away from me, devil. I'm serious. Now, I'm not being ugly, but, but people are so superstitious. I've seen people put Bibles in, in front of their door and, and say, well, that Bible's going to protect me through the night. This ain't no good luck charm. You know how this Bible's going to protect you through the night? Reading it. Amen. You know, you know how this Bible's going to protect you through the daytime? Reading it. Amen. And hey, listen, this Bible is only good as its word that's in it. And you've got to put that word in you. Amen. Listen, listen, the shelter in his criticism. You can justify your hopes in the word. And listen, if you can, can support your conduct by the word of God, you'll have peace and you'll have power in the time of persecution. Listen, I know when I'm preaching, 
You may think, man, he's so bold, and he's so brash, and he's so, but my boldness doesn't come in my personality. My boldness doesn't come in my smarts because I ain't got none. My boldness comes if I'm preaching this book, I can have peace in what I'm saying. If I'm preaching this book, I can have power in what I'm saying because it ain't what I've got to say. It's what the book's got to say. And you know what? Sheep like what the book says. And last I checked, the church is for sheep. Amen. Are lost people welcome down there? Yeah, they are. You say, is there a certain kind of lost people not welcome down there? No, all lost people's welcome down there, but this ain't for lost people. Are you listening? What we was doing in Chatsworth for lost people. Lord, we don't want what we're doing in Nicholsville for lost people. What we're doing in the jails, that'll be for lost people. Getting the gospel out outside the four walls of this place, that's for lost people. But what we're doing in here is for sheep. What I've found is a lot of goats. I know what the Bible says, but... I know what the Bible says, but, goats, but, everything, by the way. But sheep like Bible. Amen. Even when it goes against everything you've ever heard. Well, if that's what the Bible says, that's what we're going to go with. His shelter was in the word of God. Watch this. Look at the severity of this criticism. Verse number 16. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus. Man, look at that word, persecute Jesus. The idea of everything that word is not only did they just persecute him one time, they kept on. There was a continual process of I'm, they come after him. Watch this. This triggers their persecution that lasts for another year and a half until finally they get him to the cross. Persecute Jesus. And sought to slay him. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Listen, once they learned that it was Christ who ordered this man to carry his bedroll. They attacked him. They attacked Christ. They sought to slay him. Y'all know what that word means? Slay him? Kill him. Listen, how sick is this? How demented is this? They would persecute a man who brought healing to a cripple. Listen, no one else had been able to help this man for 38 years. How inconsistent. How hypocritical. Watch this. They attacked Christ for healing on the Sabbath day. But watch this. They didn't see nothing wrong with attempting to murder Christ. Isn't that just like a Pharisee? Oh, don't you be carrying your bedroll on the Sabbath day. What do you mean telling somebody to pick up the bedroll on the Sabbath day? We're going to kill you. You ever been in that situation? I've been there before. I've been that Pharisee before. Mad at somebody else's sin and me sin about it. Oh, get so mad and so worked up about it. That's where these Pharisees are. Listen, they didn't see anything wrong. They want to murder him. Let me give you this and we're done. The communication. We see the criticism, but what happens? Jesus finds this man down in the temple. What about that? I've, I have a lot of things. I thought about that and Wonder why he goes to the temple. And I'm going to tell you where I believe. I believe he goes down to the temple because he don't know who it was that healed him. But he knows he needs to go give thanks. I just believe he goes down the temple to go give thanks. Remember, 38 years he hadn't been able to go down the temple. 38 years he's not been able to go down there and worship. I believe he goes down there to thank the Lord for his healing. I mean, it's a good thing to do. This man heads to the temple. He's going to worship and praise. He's going to be thankful. He's going to give thanksgiving to the Lord for, uh, for healing him and for get, sending a man to heal him wherever this man come from. 
And it's in this, in this temple. This man not only goes for Thanksgiving, but this place, the temple's a place of teaching. We're going to find out this man learns something down in this temple. Listen, he's in the temple. He meets up with Christ, and Christ instructs, instructs him about some spiritual matters. I just say something. I know that this is not the temple. This is the church, but the temple is a type of the church. Can I just, can I just put a plug in on a Sunday night, though I know y'all are creaming the crop on Sunday night. But listen, the church is a place of instruction. Amen. Hey, you stay away from the church and you will not be spiritually intelligent, if I can say it like that. Listen, this man was healed, and he would have, if he would have missed out on church that day, he would have been healed, but he would have missed out on some very important truths that he wouldn't have gotten nowhere else. Watch what happens. This man gets down, or he's down at the temple, and Christ, he doesn't know who Jesus is. Remember, they ask him who, who was it healed or who it was that told you to take up Benny. I don't know who it is. The Bible says he wished not who it was. He doesn't know. Here's what Jesus says to him. Look in verse number 14. Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto you. There's a process here. There's, there's a subject here, I should say. First, he teaches him about the perils of sin. He's healed the man. The man's healed. The man's walking. But the first instruction Christ gives this man is there's a warning about sinful conduct. For 38 years, this man's been a cripple. And, and from this text, it seems as if it was caused by sin. And Christ warns this man, don't go back to that sin. Don't go back to the sin that got you in this mess or something worse is going to happen to you. I mean, think, it's been bad enough 38 years being a cripple. But it could get worse. Listen, all sickness is not a result of specific sin in our lives. Okay? It's not. John 9, that blind man. Jesus said that's not for, it's not for his sin or, the, or his parents' sin. It's for the glory of God. All sin, but watch this. All sin can be blamed upon the fall of human race, right? I mean, all sickness is. All sickness can be blamed upon the fall of human race. But some, but some, but, but some sicknesses is because of a specific sin. And this man, the, the, the wording here from Jesus makes us believe this man had a specific sin that caused his 38 years of being crippled. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. Don't return to that sin. Don't you go back to that sin or something worse is going to happen. You know what needs to happen down at the church house? There, need to be, there needs to be some communication about the perils of sin. There need to be some preaching about the perils of sin. If you go down that road, here's what's going to happen. If you make those choices, you've got a right to make the choice if you want to. But there's some trouble that's going to be carried along with that. There's some there's baggage that's going to be brought along with that. There is some consequences when it comes to sin. A lot of people don't want that. A lot of people don't want that kind of preaching or teaching. There's a warning here from God. But then... There's not only a warning about the 
perils of sin, but then there is the, the teaching about who the person of the Savior. This man, in this, this, this few words that Jesus said to him, he found out who Jesus was. He found out who this man was that just healed him. He experienced, watch this, he, he found out, watch this, he found out that, that this man, this man, this is, this is not just an ordinary man. He's omnipotent. All right, he's omniscient. Omniscient, all-knowing. This man can't even be 38 years old. He doesn't even look as old as I am. But he knows the sin that got me in this mess. He knows how long I've been here. He knows everything about me. He revealed, Christ revealed to this man that he knew his past. Not only did he know about, he hear, learn about the omniscience of Christ, he knows everything. And may I just say this, God knows everything about you. He knows everything. He knows all the good stuff about you. But he knows all the bad stuff about you. I was in a prison down in Florida one time. Brother Timothy, come play softly. I was in a prison in Florida one time. We was preaching, and we was preaching, and uh, we started talking, and another man started preaching, and he was preaching about a specific sin that happens in prisons, that, that it would not be anything that you'd even know about. I didn't know what he was talking about because it's my first you know, time preaching in the prison. And I heard in the back, there's about 300 men in that, in that church service, in that chapel service, and I heard somebody say, how does he know? Another guy said, yeah, how does that preacher know? How does he know? And somebody hollered out in the crowd, God knows. God knows. You know what? I think about that a lot in my life. Sometimes I can hear those voices. I can hear that. The Holy Ghost will remind me of that when, when I may think that I got some kind of hid, uh, hidden sin. Maybe when I think, well, I can get away with this, nobody will know. Nobody will see that. Nobody hear that. And I can hear, I can hear the Holy Ghost will say, God knows. He's omniscient. He knows. But not only that, he is omnipotent. When this man, when this man was healed, nobody else had been able to help him. For 38 years, nobody had been able to help this man. And when Jesus walked in on the scene, things changed for him. I'll give you this. This man, we see the communication from Jesus, but we see the communication of this man. He runs back out. Now some commentators think this was a bad idea. I kind of believe this man has good, has good intentions. I don't think the man's trying to sell out Jesus. I think he's excited about it. But the man runs out of the temple and he departs, the Bible says in verse 15, and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. He doesn't say, hey, there's the guy that told me to break the Sabbath day law. I, I believe the man had good intentions to go tell them, hey, he's the one that made me whole. Nobody else could make me whole. Hey, you Pharisees ain't never done nothing for me. Your religion hasn't never done anything for me. Your rules has never fixed me. Your, your stuff has never done anything for me but left me by the pool, hopeless and heartless and helpless. But this man healed me. This man had a changed life. He wanted to tell somebody about it. You know, we've got a responsibility.
We've got to change life. If you've been saved, you've got to change life. I'm talking about if you've been truly born again, you've got to change life. If you don't have a changed life, you've not been born again. Being born again changes your life. And if you've got a changed life, y'all want to tell somebody about it. <laughs> you all want to tell somebody, hey, that's who made me whole. That's who changed me. His priority was telling them about the one who made them whole. Now that didn't help nothing. Them critics, the Jews, the religious front crowd, those religious folk, that didn't change anything for them. It's going to get worse. We're going to get into that later. It's going to get worse. But for this man, everything's different now. Can you imagine him going home that night? As far as we know, he stops by the temple at first. Can you imagine going home that night? Knocking on the door. Who is it? It's me. Me who? It's me, your husband. Not my husband. Not my husband. My husband's down at the pool of Bethesda. It's me. It's daddy. Not my daddy. My daddy's down there. Been lame for 38 years. Not my daddy. But you do sound like him. And they open the door. And in walks... A new, a brand new daddy, a brand new husband. Everything's different. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Things are different. Listen, critics are going to come, critics are going to go. But Christ will make a difference in your life. You all do all to tell somebody about it. We all tell somebody about the difference he's made in our life. Let's all stand, heads bowed, and eyes closed. Brother Tyler's going to come, sing a song of invitation. What God might have spoke to your heart about tonight. Once you do business with God, whether it be in your altar or in your pew, he's playing that song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Won't you take shelter in the Word of God tonight? Take your security, your support in the Word of God. As he sings, won't you do business with God? Well.